Hi, it's Dr. Steve Albrecht, and welcome to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Hargadon. You can always get more information about Steve Hargadon and Steve Albrecht, me, at library20.com. We do two paid webinars per month. We do uh, two podcasts at least per month and two articles at least per month about uh, library service issues, library safety issues, and certainly library security issues. I'm the author of Library Security 2015 ALA book and also the new library book uh, that just came out from Roman and Littlefield that I did uh, in called The Safe Library. And you can find more information at romanrowman.com. This episode, I want to talk about significant service interactions with patrons. And I've been thinking about this I've been doing a lot of, of uh, webinar work and training work uh, with libraries and also with government entities, especially in public health department. And even after the pandemic, they're, they're still dealing with lots of concerns about service and how the taxpayer sees the level of service they provide. And, and it's kind of an interesting uh, gap sometimes that employees, and this is a well-meaning, and they may not recognize it, but it happens sometimes, the, the importance of the interaction or the encounter or the discussion or the consequences of the thing the person is walking in the building for versus what the staff member sees it's all about. And I think we see this in the library a lot, which is somebody comes in that needs a lot of help on something really significant like getting Social Security benefits or downloading a tax form that they particularly need. And for the library person, that's like Tuesday afternoon. Library professionals provide lots of information across a wide variety of subjects, books, research, help with things for kids and help with things for literacy um, programs and help with things for various community discussions, uh, events, displays, lots of, of skills in lots of areas. And so I think it's possible, and this is human nature, is that you start to look at your job and go, just another day. I do lots of complex things. I do lots of easy things. I talk to lots of people throughout the day who I can solve their problems in 10 minutes. Sometimes I get people who it takes me an hour or two. Uh, but it's just, you know, that's what I do. And I think one of the issues that I find uh, you know, kind of conserving from a service perspective is that it all can kind of blend together. And I've, I've had this conversation with my colleagues and in, in, in training and with clients in, in libraries as well, which is how do we get staff not to become so overwhelmed and so focused on one person, one issue that they, they lose perspective. It's not, it's not, oh, my God, that's horrible. But... How can I help this person knowing that when I look at their situation, it's probably complex. It may be multi-layered. It could have lasted for several months or years before they got to this stage where they need my help. And it's going to take some effort on my part to get this solved, if possible, in one contact, in one, one you know, 20-minute or one-hour discussion. So I kind of look at, at, at two issues. One is how important is the issue or the project or the concern for the patron? And then how significant it is. Important is different than significant from the standpoint of things can be one or both or neither, right? Not that important, not that significant. You may have those situations come up all the time where someone says, hey, where's this? And you go, it's right over there. They go, thank you, and walk off, right? No big deal. Other times somebody comes in with something which is highly significant, but not that important to, the, you know, to them. It's highly significant, not that important to the rest of the world. So when we look at significance versus importance, I think sometimes it's easy to get a little jaded, a little burnt out, a little tired sometimes of the human transaction, of the service transaction, and say, 
Well, you know, I do this all the time. I, I'm not getting excited about, you know, helping this guy get Social Security benefits because I do this all the time. And, and you know, I printed out this tax form, this, this W-2 or whatever it is, you know, 300 times already this week right before tax, tax day. But I think sometimes you look at issues in your own life and you say, what are the parallels of a huge, important decision for me, a big service interaction for me, a significant financial risk or opportunity or transaction for me, which for the person on the receiving end, not that big of a deal. A couple of examples. Think of the most important things that you buy in your life and the most expensive. They're usually connected, right? I would say buying a wedding ring set is important and expensive. You're going to get married, right? The other one is buying a house. That's important and expensive. And not only do you have a a decision to make about a million things that come with house uh, home buying, but the house mortgage you're going to get is probably a 15 or 30 year mortgage. It's not it's not you know two weeks. Uh, buying a car. Now these days the average length of time spent for a, a car loan is like six years. I mean in my day it was three and four, five was a lot. 60 months. Now it's it's you know it's 84 months and. I mean, there's, there's long loans for cars because of the cost. So think about the fact that you're a jewelry salesperson, right? You sell wedding sets. And you say, well, you know, for me, it's, it's Wednesday afternoon. For the person standing there with, with, you know, his or her spouse or partner or bride or groom, it's a huge deal. I remember, you know, the houses that I have bought in my life, it's like, wow, there's so much paperwork. There's so many things to sign. There's the escrow stuff and the title stuff and then the bank and the check and the cashier's check and the down payment and the fees and the taxes and it goes on forever. And so you're sitting in the in the title company room or the escrow, escrow company room. If you've ever been in that position where you're sitting there with all these documents to sign hundreds of pages, you say to yourself, or maybe you say out loud like I did, am I going to get the keys to the house at some point, the condo, the, 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 the place I bought? Am I going to get the keys if I keep signing all these documents and initialing everything? So for the folks that work at the escrow place, the title company, that's just, you know, Thursday afternoon for them. They do this six times a day, probably, you know, five days a week. Um, buying a, a, a car is the same thing. You say, for the car salesperson, this is just how they make their living. And it's, it's not you buying the truck or the car, it's somebody else. And, you know, they're concerned and they want to make the sale. And, you know, I don't expect them to do cartwheels and backflips when we agree on everything. But you think, wow, you know, I'm buying this car for my kid or my spouse or partner or me. And it's, it's a huge investment, $40,000, dollars $70,000. I've got a, a, you know, a loan and financing and all these other things to think about. Did I make the right choice? I want to make sure I don't have uh, buyer's remorse. Think about the process of taking your kid, 17, 18-year-old kid, high school graduate, either or before they've graduated high school or just after, and dropping them off at college or taking them to the college visit. And you say, you know, we've, we've flown or drove a long way. And this is a, a four-year decision here, pretty expensive one. Uh, we're going to put our, our baby here in this, in this place, and we're going to spend a ton of money on housing and food and books and, and living expenses for our kid to go to school here, and it's a big deal. Well, for the admissions people and for the tour guides and for the students that are you know, walking you or your, your kid around campus, it's just another tour that they do. So think about this idea of, of the, uh, the expense or the duration or the stress of the process for people and, and the potential for buyer's remorse. Now, you know, people don't always have buyer's remorse at the library. I, t I checked out the wrong book. 
But they can make decisions with your help that, that save them tons of money, that save them tons of time, that help them with some program or situation that they need to fix, uh, with services they need to get, which can be quite substantial. And so there, there's a couple things that sort of related to the service issue. One is, a, is this awareness on the part of library staff that it's a big deal. And I've talked about this in my Library 2.0 programs quite a lot, which is this crucial conversations piece. And the crucial conversation is those 10% conversations based on the book, Crucial Conversations, and the, and the YouTube videos that these consultants have done, that 90% that, you know, of the time we have normal conversations with everybody, casual, routine, no big deal. And other times we have pretty substantial conversations that are in that 10% category. And what makes them, and this is their definition, these, these consultants, in the Crucial Conversations book, what makes them crucial is high stakes, strong emotions, and different opinions. Anytime we have high stakes, strong emotions, and different opinions, it is a crucial conversation. It doesn't have to be both people have both of those things, but if one person has, has those three, it's a crucial conversation. So consider that when you come in to buy a wedding set, that's high stakes, right? Did I make the right choice in not only my spouse and partner, but I make the right choice in buying a wedding set that this person's going to love and wear for the rest of their life with me, I hope, right? And I, I didn't buy the wrong kind. Did I make the right choice in buying a car for myself or my, somebody in my family? Did I make the right choice in buying a house for myself or, or my family? And so that's, that's a high stakes, right? And these are emotional conversations too, emotional issues as well. I'm spending lots of money. I'm tying myself in a, up in a contract that could go seven to 30 years, depending on whatever the issue is. I got payments on this whatever product or, or service that I'm buying. And, and there's different opinions as to how to solve the presenting issue. So one of the challenges of the crucial conversation discussion is, what's the big deal? Why is this person so upset? The, the service provider you know, on the other side of the counter says. And the answer is they missed the, they missed the obvious, which is it's a high stakes, strong opinions, strong emotions, different options as to what to do, conversation with the other person. So I, I want library people to keep perspective, and you, you, can't, you can't become overly emotionally invested in every single thing. But this idea that you have kind of a bored or, or you know, condescending or sardonic or dismissive uh, kind of a tone when you're talking to people about stuff because it seems boring to you or it seems like you do this all the, all the time, you're a little burnt out on anyways, the wrong approach. And so I think what we're looking for in the, in the library service discussion is how do we remind staff that these are important decisions, significant decisions sometimes for the patrons that come in. It could have to do with their housing issues, could have to do with their health, health insurance, jobs, getting a job, keeping a job, um, correspondence with the government about services and things like that, which, which they need your expertise. So part of that is this early awareness. And that, I think, comes from questioning. Are we asking good open-ended, extractive information gathering types of questions? Hey, what brings you in today? What, what, uh, what can I help you with? Do you have something on, on the, the internet that I can, I can guide you through, or do you have it? Um, is there any resources that I can find for you that, that you know about but need access to help get, get to those particular websites? I can help you with that, those types of things. And then kind of all the way through this sense of encouragement, which is, I think we've got it. I think I think this should solve your issue. I think, um, as as I understand the questions that you're bringing to me or the things that we're trying to solve, I think we've got got the solutions here. Um, that we've done it. And we've done it right, and I, I'm hoping that's true. You know, those kinds of encouraging questions, and then this this sense that kind of in the end that that you're hopeful as a library professional that you did the right thing on this person's behalf. And that they're from at least their side, there's a sense of what I would call grateful closure. And grateful closure is thanks for the help. 
grateful closure is is wow you know you, you library people really know your stuff you came in I came in here with some doubts and questions and concerns and anxieties and you you, you got them all you got everything lined up and knocked out that I wanted to get taken care of I appreciate that that grateful closure and we don't always get it I, I understand that some people are entitled and rude and sort of distracted by the the pace of life and their kids and everything else that's going on inside their heads I get that we, we deal with people that are coming out of trauma backgrounds and really complex life issues, and they may not get the opportunity or recognize the opportunity that we've done good things for a long span of time, you know, 20 minutes to two hours on their behalf. But I think as a library service professional, you say, I'm going to take my victories as I see them in terms of what I did successfully for this person. May, they may not recognize it now. They may recognize it at home. And, and this sense of accomplishment that I have skills and a, a training and background and, and, and expertise in certain areas which are highly useful for the people that come in here is a good thing. And so I think about this, this sense of how do we communicate to people when they come in the library from the, from the get-go that I'm, A, here to help you, B, I will do the best I can, and I may have to ask you a lot of fairly detailed questions to get the best best answers from you so I can figure out which direction to take all this. That I'm going to try to do it by valuing your time, that I'm going to do it in a way that, 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 that doesn't waste your time, that values your time, and that also tries to solve the problem, the, whatever their issue is, in the first pass, the first, the first go around, and that we don't bounce them from staff member to staff member. And if we do have to take them to another staff member or to a, to a, a supervisor, it's based on this person's expertise, this person's skill set which is superior or well-defined differently than yours that you say that you know this person's going to take over but the idea that there's a continuity of care and that we have a we see a beginning middle and end and we have a goal for that person to get through this discussion with us in the library uh, quickly and effectively and safely and accurately there's a phrase that I see used in healthcare all the time it's one of my favorites and and healthcare people talk about functioning with accurate urgency that's a great great phrase isn't it accurate urgency what it says is, I'm going to do this correctly, but also I'm going to do it fast. You can be the best brain surgeon in the world if, it, if a one-hour operation takes you 10 hours and the person dies, or that we didn't do it correctly. You can be the fastest brain surgeon in the world. What, what should take you four hours takes you 15 minutes and the person dies. We didn't do that part right either. We need to be accurate means that we use all of our skills correctly. And urgent, meaning that we value this person's time, we don't waste time, and we get things done in the manner that we have the time that we have. So accurate urgency is a great healthcare phrase, but it's also good in every other service profession as well. One of the models I talk about a lot in our webinars for Library 2.0 is the GREAT model. And I just, I just love the, the conciseness of it. I love the, the clarity of it. And I love the, the importance of each step. Greet, reassure, explain, act, and think. GREAT, G-R-E-A-T, right? We greet the patron with eye contact, right? We're, we're not dismissive. We're not, we're not bored. We're not looking at 15 other things or five other screens or our phone or our documents or whatever. We make eye contact. It's a politeness thing. It's also, for my world, it's a safety thing, right? We've talked about this staying in condition yellow, which is I'm around strangers. I pay attention. I make eye contact with everybody. It says I see you as a human being. It says I'm an assertive professional in this environment. This is my world here. Welcome to it. It also says that I'm paying attention to any kind of behavioral warning signs that I should kind of look at in terms of this person's interactions with me. Reassure this person, the R, reassure this person that you're there to help them, that you're there to value their time, 
that you're going to try as best as you can to solve the problem. And if you can't, you're going to get somebody who can. And we're going to try to do it in one, in one swing, in one, one opportunity. This reassurance part's critical, isn't it? And, and think about situations in your own life where you've said, I've, I know this person on the receiving end of my phone call or the receiving end of my internet chat about some particular product or service that I bought or I'm trying to get a refund for or cancel or whatever it is that this person cares and that they're going to try to get it done. It's baseball season. And I just called my cable provider, Dish, and I said, I want to order the baseball packet. And the woman that helped me was very helpful. And she said, great, let me see what we need to do here. And let, let's get this set up so that on, on two days later when baseball season starts, which, which it did, you'll be able to have this and everything's be great. And it took about 20 minutes and she had to go on hold and check some things and talk to some other people and flip some switches or whatever they do over there in the, in the great Dish network you know, in the sky. But it worked. And I appreciated her help. And I said, you know, thanks for taking care of this the first time. Because I said, you know, if I, if I waited until the day of baseball starting, right, there will be 10,000 people on the phone trying to do the same thing. But you got it set up for me so that it's, it's perfect the first time. I appreciate it. So that reassurance that she gave me and proved it that she did her best for me in that one phone call was really critical. The E is also super important. Explain what you're going to do. And this is what this woman did for me. She said, I need to put you on a brief hold. Is that okay? And sure, sure, it certainly is, right? She says, I need to check with this other person or talk to my boss or go over here or check another database or whatever it happens to be. Talk to the technical people. I need to do that. I'll come right back to you. So she did a couple things. One, she explained what she was going to do. She explained that there was going to be a hold process and, and that, is that okay? That explanation is so critical when you walk away from a patron in search of some piece of information or in search of a book, in search of a piece of material, in search of an answer, in search of a, a website. You say, I'm going to step over here and talk to a colleague. He or she has done this a lot, and I think they know the, the fastest way, the best way to do it, so I'm going to talk to them. I'll come right back to you. All that says to the patron is you're not abandoning this person, that you're coming back, and that you're coming back with another piece to the puzzle or a potential solution. It's great, right? The A in the great model is act accordingly. Do what you need to do. Do your thing as a service professional, as a library professional. Take the steps you need to take. Act accordingly, right? Follow your policies. Do the things that, that, that solve the presenting problem for this person. Bring them the solution or wrap it up as best as you can. And then the last one, thank them for their patience. Thank them for the opportunity. Thank them for the challenge. And, and here's the part that sometimes gets library folks, which is, well, you know, they didn't even care. I did all this work and they just said, okay, and walked off. Well, that happens, right? There are people that are rude or sort of so tied up in their own world, they don't get the fact that they forgot to thank somebody for what, what, what went on, what they did for them. But look at the collection. Greet, reassure, explain, act, and thank. So, you know, an example I use, and this may happen to you all the time, maybe it happens to me more times than I care to think about, is the, the hostess at the restaurant. You go to the restaurant on a busy Friday or Saturday night, just did this, you know, here in town last week. There's four of us. Hostess says, how many in your party? And we say four. And she says, okay. And she grabs some menus and she walks off. Now, your pal Steve here, who likes to eat all the time, right, to my detriment, starts following her and says, well, geez, she must be heading to our table, right? Now, sometimes my party follows me and sometimes they just stand there and go, oh, he's off on one of his, you know, rambles. And the hostess will turn around and go, oh, I don't have a table for you yet. You need to go back to the hostess station and wait. I'll, I'll come back and get you. And then I have to do that trudge all the way back to the hostess area that I realized I, I, I was too early in my prediction about getting a table. 
The second possibility is that she grabs four menus and she walks off and we stand there at the hostess station and we go, well, I guess she's going to come back and get us when we have, a, she has a table for us. And then we see her frantically waving from the middle of the restaurant. Hey, you know, come this way. The universal gesture of you should have followed me to this, to this table here. And we go hustling over and go, oh, okay. She goes, I heard your table. I thought you were coming right behind me. Now, I have to admit, because I want to eat all the time, that the first one usually happens more than the second one, but they both happen. Because sometimes we ask, should we come with you? Or do we need to wait here? And that's, you know, if I'm paying attention, I'll do those things. If she doesn't say it, but all she needs to say, or he, is two things. And this is the explain part, right? Uh, just hang out here for a couple of moments. Um, I'll find a great table for you. I'll come right back and get you. Okay, great. Or second one, follow me right this way. Right, have a great table for you over here, right this way. If they do either of those things in the explain part, we're all good, right? We're all good. And you say to yourself, well, how come she doesn't? Why doesn't the hostess or the host do this? And you go, I don't know. Sometimes people get so caught up in the actual doing of the work, they forget to explain what they're going to do to this person. Example I use oftentimes is healthcare. I've been in a lot of hospitals lately, unfortunately, for all kinds of small and big things, nothing dramatic, but you know, staying overnight for stuff. There is a time when you are staying overnight in a hospital where someone will come in who is a lab tech, could be a phlebotomist, could be somebody who's just a hospital tech, and their function at the wee hour of, you know, 3.30 in the morning or whatever is to get your vitals for the nurses and for the doctor. And that's blood pressure, it's pulse ox, it's, it's temperature, it may be a blood draw, it could be a urine collection, it could be... Um, something where they need to measure or gather something from you that goes into your chart. Most of the time, it's blood pressure, pulse ox, fever, that kind of a thing. So they come in at, you know, 0300, and you're laying there either half asleep or not asleep or fully asleep, and they kind of jostle you awake, and they go, oh, I'm here to take your BP. And they put the thing on your finger for the pulse ox, and they put the blood pressure cuff on you, and they wipe the little wand, the electronic wand, across your forehead for your temperature. And they gather all the information, and they go, okay, uh, good night, and they walk off, right? And you say, what, what was this for? Because, you know, this is the first time I've ever been in a hospital in my entire life. What they wake me up for? That's one approach, right? Sometimes people are like, you know, could you wake me a little more carefully and maybe not just flip on all the lights? Or, I mean, you know, could we do this in the darkness if we can't? I mean, there's lots of ways that people get kind of bugged by this. But my part of it is, when I think about this great model, let's apply the model to that concept, except in a kind of more professional, appropriate way. So the person comes inside the room. They kind of get a sense of whether you're asleep or not. You could be watching TV or just laying there or reading a book or something. And they say, if you're asleep, they gently wake you. Say, I'm so-and-so from the hospital. I'm so-and-so from this department in the hospital. They identify themselves, right? You look at their name badge. It matches what name they just gave you. Their name badge matches their face. We're all good, right? It's not a stranger. The person has a right to be there and is going to do their job. They say, I need to get some of your vitals for your chart, for your nurses, for your doctor. shouldn't take more than a couple of moments. Um, sorry to wake you, but I'll let you get right back to sleep as soon as we're done here. I have a couple of things I have to get. One's your temperature. I'll use the scanner for that on your forehead. If you could just hold still for a moment, I'll get that. Okay, great. Your temperature is. And here's the other part. They never tell you what your temperature is or your blood pressure. I want to know those things, right? Is it 98.6 or 102 or, you know, what's my VP? Is it, you know, 160 over something or 82 over something else? Like, tell me, right? Yeah, temperature is normal. That's great. Let me jot that down. 
blood pressure, they do the sphygmometer and they get your blood pressure and they tell you what it is, right? Say, here's here's your numbers. Pulse ox is reads normal, right? Your oxygen and your, your blood reads normal. So I got all those things I need, put it in your chart. I'll make sure that your nurse knows that I've come through. Have a good night. Enjoy your, enjoy your sleep, right? And they walk off. And you say, okay, well, Steve, they do this 15 times a night. I mean, are they expected to have a two-hour conversation with everybody? No. How about just a two-minute conversation with everybody? How about you go through the greet, reassure, explain, act, and thank model every time you do this so that it sort of checks boxes for this person that greet means that you're there to recognize the fact that you know, they may have woke you up. Reassure them that it's going to be a quick and painless procedure, right? Getting your pulse locks taken and your blood pressure and your temperature taken is not a painful process, right? It's going to be brief and you can get back to sleep. Explain what you're going to do. I'm going to run this thing across your forehead. I'm going to take your BP. I'm going to put this thing on your finger and for your pulse ox, right? Act accordingly. That's what you do. Do that part, right? Gather the information. Act accordingly. And then thank them for their patience. Thank them for their sitting there quietly while you did it. Say, hope you get a, you know, a good night's sleep. And take care and walk out, right? So, you know, there's kind of a model sometimes in healthcare, and I've done a lot of work in healthcare, where, where we see, you know, it's a kind of a car wash model. You know, dirt, dirty cars in, clean cars out. You know, unhealthy patients at one end and healthy patients coming out of the other end. But, you know, if you're in the healthcare model, if you're sitting inside there in the, in the bed, you know, and you've had surgery or you're going to have surgery, it's stressful as all get out. It's painful. It's, it's, it's depressing. It's, it's anxiety creating. And so when you think about those situations, those little moments where the nursing staff, or the tech staff comes in and they just do that model: greet, reassure, explain, act, and think. Hi, I'm you know I'm your night nurse. My name is so and so. How you feeling today? Let me tell you what I'm typically going to do over the next couple of hours. I'll come in and get this from you. I'll clean this up. I'll, I'll bring you this food, whatever it happens to be. They act accordingly, and then they thank you at the end of your stay there for for the time. And so I think really skilled healthcare professionals get this, and they realize that you coming into the hospital could be the first time in your adult life, could be the 21st time. It could be for a little procedure, it could be for a major procedure, and it's stressful either way. But for them, it's, it's Wednesday afternoon. It's, you know, it's their 12-hour it's their shift. And so I, I, I realize perspective is important in this conversation. I realize that, that we don't want to lose perspective and become robotic, but don't want to get so you know, teary-eyed when we're dealing with people because everybody has a shaggy dog story they could tell, right? But it's that balance of saying, I recognize this situation for this library patron as being really important. And the example I always use, and I think it's, it's, it's a, this is a commending discussion about what library people do and what their skills are, is when someone comes in that needs to get a job. Blue collar guy comes into the library. He needs to do a couple things. One, create an email. He does not have one. Right? He's never had an email address. Doesn't know what Gmail is or Yahoo Mail or any of that kind of stuff. Just, just doesn't have one. He needs to create a resume, an electronic document, that is a collection of his work activities over the span of his working life because he has to upload it to a job site. Now, he's not done those either. He doesn't have a resume and he's never uploaded anything to a job site. His English skills may be limited. His computer skills are probably zero or very small. Maybe he knows how to work his phone, but that's about it. Never never sat down and you know, created anything with a mouse and a, and a template of some sort. And that's what the library professional can do and with good skill and quickly. This person has to do something which is pretty complex if you have lots of computer skills, which is upload your resume to an Indeed or a Monster Job or one of these job sites, right? In the old days, right, 
if you think about how you got a job when you were a teenager or you're a young adult, you know, as my age especially, is you, you filled out a, an application and you handed it to somebody across the counter and the boss said, let's come back here and I'll interview you or you sent your resume or application to somebody by the mail and they called you and said, come in for an interview, that kind of stuff. Remember, well, that's how you got a job when we, were, when we were kids. Now the world is, does your resume have the keywords in it to be able to scan through with our AI and robot you know, scanning systems to pull out the keywords that, that can get you an interview? And library people can help with that design of the, of the, of the resume and the language and maybe the keywords that can get, get extracted by these, these filtering systems. So this guy coming in, blue-collar guy, needs a job, has to feed himself or his family. You say, okay, is that a crucial conversation? Well, let's consider the three elements again. Is it high stakes for this person? Yes. Are there strong emotions attached to this process? Yes. So the guy feels like, I don't get this job, I'm not going to eat, I'm fearful, I'm anxious, I'm angry, I got laid off from my last job, I was there for a million years, I, you know, I need to get this other job, and I'm fearful that I will or I won't you know, make the deadline, or hopefully I'll get the job, it'll be exactly what they want to see on the resume. And the last one is there are different opinions or different options as to what to do. Yes, there's lots of ways to solve the problem. And the library person knows a lot of those solutions. So you say, what brings you in today? And the person explains it. Okay. Um, I, I do that a lot. Um, you know, we've got some work ahead of us. And I hope you've got kind of some dates and times and things that I can use to craft your resume. But we can use a model or a template for that. And I, I think we can get through it pretty quickly. Um, I'll help you set up an email account and tell you how to, how to do it. So be thinking about a password so that we can do that. Let's get this um, uploaded to the site. And then usually there's a confirmation that the thing came through. So when we leave here, and before you go, there'll be a confirmation said that they received it. And, and hopefully that's you know, what they need to, to give it a, a look and to scan it, that type of thing. So look at all the stuff you've done in that conversation. You've greeted, you've reassured, you've explained what you're going to do. You do that, right? You help them set up an email account, a Gmail or something like that. You help them uh, craft a resume using a template. You help them upload said resume using that email address to the job site. And there's confirmation that it worked, right? Greet, reassure, explain, act. And then, hey, thanks for coming in. Hope I was able to help you. Now, if this person says you were great help, I really appreciate it. I, you know, I didn't know the library could do these things. And, and it's, it's, I mean, I'm just really, really grateful for the work that you did. That's awesome, right? But sometimes they don't. But what you take away from that is I did good work on this person's behalf. I solved this person's presenting problem quickly and efficiently and effectively. I functioned with accurate urgency. I did the right thing on this person's behalf as best as I could. So when I look at the service orientation, it's about recognizing urgency. It's about recognizing importance. It's about not saying, I do this all the time, and therefore it's routine to me because it's not routine to the other person. When you say this is something that I do all the time and it's not that big of a deal, it discounts the fact that it is a big deal for the person that's receiving it. And I think we have to look at it carefully and say, is it a big deal? Then make it a big deal. I'm going to bring my A game. If it's not a big deal, I'm just providing a one piece of information that they can you know, take and, and move on you know, throughout the rest of the library they don't need me for, then do that too. But I think sometimes what happens is we confuse the fact that we do this all the time with the fact that it should be routine for the person on the receiving end, and it is not. Think about the urgency of the service interaction, the significance of the service interaction. So my thanks to the producer of the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast, Steve Hargadon. For more information, visit the Library 2.0 website at library20.com. Until next time, I'm Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast.